The Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. jazz it's best when you improvise george gershwin said that and he might be referring to this show what is this show this show is sloshed cinema also best when improvised i am your host sean paul mahoney meeting you here on the corner of sobriety and pop culture in case you're new to the program each week we take a movie and uh, one that usually deals with alcoholism or addiction, and we discuss it, and then I always find lots of time to talk about my own recovery from drugs and alcohol and myself. Today is special, however. Instead of one film, we're talking about three films. Uh, Three films all centered around the world of jazz music and jazz musicians. Hence the Gershwin quote in the opening, Uh, which may or may not have worked, but like he said, improvising. Um, So yeah, why a special jazz edition of this show? Well, the obvious answer is there's a lot of movies about jazz musicians, and as fate would have it. Most of those films, in one way, shape, or another, deal with drugs and alcoholism, whether it's Round Midnight, or Bird, or The Lowdown, or uh, Lady Sings the Blues. All of the lead characters struggle in some way with drugs or alcohol, or both. Um... The other reason why I picked this topic for a special episode of Slush Cinema is there are three relatively new films released this year, um, all talking about jazz musicians and all worth talking about with you. Uh, So the first one we're going to discuss is 2016's Born to be Blue, starring Ethan Hawke. And Carmen Igogo. Uh, it centers around the life of jazz trumpeter uh, Chet Baker. Okay, so this is an independent film. And when the movie starts, you know you're in the world of independent film. It's sort of trippy. It's sort of dreamy. We're let know really fast that this is not a traditional biopic. And in fact, the whole first half of the movie is imagined. And the first half of the movie centers around a movie within the movie about Chet Baker's life, which he's starring in as himself or a version of himself. Um, and he falls in love with the lead actress uh, played by Carmen Igogo, who you might recognize 
from the amazing Selma. She played Coretta Scott King in that movie. She's absolutely stunning, and she's so delightful to watch on screen. Um, and she's a composite character of different relationships that Baker had had in real life. And when I read that, I was like, oh, yikes. This might be kind of bad. And at the beginning, I gotta be honest, I was not sold on this idea. Thankfully, they don't stay there very long with this whole storyline of um, the movie within the movie. What they do end up going into is more of Baker's drug use and how um, where we find him kind of mid-career is um, where he's kind of trying to rebuild his reputation. And, um, you know, like a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics, uh, Baker had a lot of talent and then kind of pissed it away because he was a junkie. And um, so this movie where we find him, he's trying to really get back into recording and get back into good graces of his friends and his uh, professional acquaintances. Um, and, you know, for a film that's clearly on a limited budget, they do a lot with the mood. You know, we've got this, like, early 60s Southern California shot in uh, and around Malibu. And it looks really great. It's a great-looking movie. Uh, really smart costume choices. Um, the musical sequences as they should be for a movie that's jazz-centric, are great. Um, I have no idea if Ethan Hawke plays any instruments in real life, but he does a good job. Uh, and uh, Carmen Gogo does a good job, too. She's a piano player and um, also a singer in real life. You've probably heard her in different movies, too. Um, and I think they both do a really admirable job. It is interesting, however... Um, you know, you keep watching the movie and, uh, Chet Baker keeps going back to shooting heroin. He tries his best. He relapses. He goes back. But the remarkable thing about Chet Baker is, like, this is not just this time frame. Like, this was Chet Baker's whole life, right? Like, Chet Baker uh, lived, oh, I think it's, like, until the 80s, maybe, um, or late 70s, um, and he continued to be a junkie for the rest of his life, which is astonishing when I think about, like, my own drug use and alcoholism. I can't imagine going on for several decades, and yet somehow that is some people's journey. Um, it's kind of fascinating while you're watching the film. You have to kind of get into Chet Baker's mind. He was a white jazz musician in a predominantly black music field in a racially charged era, not like this era is not racially charged, just a differently racially charged era, shall we say. Um, and so he caught a lot of flack. 
And the movie hints at he was always trying to impress um, other jazz contemporaries like Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis, who we'll talk about in another movie in a few minutes here. Um, And so we get off the bat because of these established relationships that um, he's very insecure, despite how talented he was. And um, Ethan Hawke does an interesting job. You know, it's tough to take on a character who is so downtrodden and uh, so hard on themselves and and yet completely uh, delusional. Um, it's hard to make that kind of a character relatable. And I think actually Ethan Hawke does a good job. You know, he has not always been my favorite actor. Let's be real here, as I'm known to do. Um, I loved him in, like, 90s stuff. You know, reality bites and those sorts of things. Uh, Loved when he was married to Uma Thurman. I saw them once in L.A. It was very exciting in an early 2000s kind of way. Um, And that was pretty much it. Like, I think, like... Post his heyday, he made some bad choices and made some bad movies. But since Boyhood, which should have won Best Picture the year that it was nominated, um, since Boyhood, I think he's really chosen interesting stuff. And he's gotten older, and he's kind of craggy looking, and it works really well for Chet Baker. And he's also handsome, too. So he's, like, handsome, but beat the fuck up, which I think is the essence of Chet Baker, if there was ever an essence of Chet Baker. So, um, yeah, I think he uh, is wonderful in the film, and uh, the film itself is a little slow to start, uh, but the performances are great, and the musical sequences are great, um, and it tells an interesting take on a white jazz musician, and... uh, I would check it out. You know, it aims to be an art house biopic, so it's not going to stick to your beginning, middle, end of life like we expect from biopics. So if you go in with an open mind, I think you might enjoy it. So I'm going to give Born to be Blue uh, three out of five stars. Check it out and tell me what you think. Uh, No conversation about uh, drug addicts and alcoholics who are jazz musicians is complete without talking about the legend, Lady Day herself, Billie Holiday. So it's convenient that there's a recent film um, on HBO called Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill starring Audra McDonald um, and basically just Audra McDonald. The show is, in essence, a filmed version of the play that McDonald starred in on Broadway and won, I think, what is her sixth Tony, um, breaking all kinds of records. And so uh, it kind of, where we start in the movie, it's 1959, it's Philadelphia, um, and it's Billie Holiday and her band, on stage. And what transpires over the next 90 minutes 
is a performance of a lifetime, uh, not just for Billie Holiday, but for the actress playing her, Audra McDonald. Um, the film, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, is worth seeing if you've never seen Audra McDonald in anything. If you've never seen her sing on TV, or you've never seen her on stage or in film, uh, the film is worth watching just for her performance. She is stunning. Uh, you know, we all, I think, can kind of do a bad Billie Holiday impression. I probably have one tucked somewhere deep inside of myself, uh, but I will spare you from that. My point is, is like, Billie Holiday is a very identifiable voice, right? And so um, it would be easy to kind of rely on a caricature. Uh, thankfully, since you spend 90 minutes just basically with Audra McDonald playing her, um, that is not the case. Audra McDonald channels Billie Holiday and has her own beautiful voice, but sings like Billie Holiday. Um, it's really something to see. Uh, not only that, from an alcoholic and addict standpoint, this movie is rough to watch, um, but worth the watch, if that makes any sense. We basically see her do the decline that we've all done a million times, where it starts with drinks and we're holding court and everything's together and we just slowly snowball to an absolute shit show. And we just watch her uh, disintegrate on stage because of drugs and alcohol. And um, it's stunning to watch. Uh, you know, what breaks up some of the action is the music. So we get to hear all of the songs that we love by Billie Holiday from Strange Fruit to God Bless the Child um, and several others. And there's a dynamic with her and a piano player who is, you know, the piano player is her uh, co-worker, her enabler, uh, we believe also like a friend relationship too. Um, and he's also trying to like you know, keep the audience happy while uh, the main attraction is uh, just falling apart in front of their eyes. Um, you can only imagine if you had watched the show and watched Otter McDonald do it on stage, how stunning it must have been. Um, I think I've said stunning a couple of times, and that's the only word I can come up with for this movie. But, uh, yeah, you... It must have been uncomfortable, too, um, because you're just with her. And the filmmakers ha have done smart stuff here and made decisions to just have it be a film version of the show. So we feel like we're sitting in the audience of this nightclub in 1959 and watching this icon in her last days. Um, uh, from what we're led to believe... Uh, Billie Holiday passed away not long after this performance. Holiday was only 44 when she died, and it was after several arrests and um, 
was basically, according to lore, arrested for drug possession while in the hospital as well, too. Uh, her last days are completely tragic, and uh, no wonder she's been covered so many times on film. Um, being a, a fan of all things 1970s, and of course, a lover of Diana Ross, I have seen Lady Sings the Blues, which in a campy Motown 70s Billy D. Williams kind of way, has delights of its own. Um, but I will say that McDonald knocks it out of the park. I think uh, other portrayers would be wise to not even go down that road. Um, I think this is the first film we've talked about where it's primarily a one-person kind of thing. And uh, it is really powerful to just be you and this addict in the grips of a terrible disease. And um, I think it makes it even more stunning to uh, kind of bear witness to as an audience member. Um, there, you know, thankfully, like I mentioned, you know, she's the only performer, but the band is really great too. You know, uh, being carried by a great band is, um, I can imagine, for a singer, uh, essential. And so she's got a great band here. Oh, the one thing that's really crazy about her performance, and I've never seen anybody do this, is that as the night goes on, we get to know more of Billie Holiday's story. We know more about her arrests. We know more about um, how her career is dried up. We know these different things. We know her past glories. Um, we know her insecurities. And we know that she's an alcoholic and a drug addict. She even stops and shoots up during like an intermission in the show, which is like a jaw-dropping moment of the movie. Um, and then gets back up on stage. And um, as a performer, Audra McDonald takes us on all of that. And so getting back to what I was saying is that I've never seen someone perform songs and those songs and that performance reflect their state of intoxication. And uh, um, Audra McDonald does that here and does it flawlessly. Um, it's really worth checking out. I uh, think the performance alone is interesting. And then if you're a Billie Holiday fan like I am, Billie Holiday music was always like when I was drinking, like the hangover depression music of choice and now I love her just because it's great art and it's really powerful and sad and and um a time capsule you know when you listen to that music of a black female artist going through very real stuff and um just having no way out so um the film captures this brilliantly I would say uh, this is a five out of five star film. Please watch it and let me know what you think. You can always tweet me at Sean Paul Mahoney or you can go to my website, uh, seanalogs.com and tell me what you think there. Uh, yeah, it's worth watching for sure. Um, yeah, so that is 
uh, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Oh, and it's available on HBO now. That's where I watched it. Or um, I'm sure they have it on regular HBO. I know they don't have it on Amazon, but they do have Autumn McDonald's soundtrack on Amazon, which would be worth a listen, I'm sure. So check those things out. Um, Okay, so our third movie in our jazz tour, uh, which, if we're to believe our third movie, I would be shamed for calling it jazz, um, is Miles Ahead, uh, starring Don Cheadle, and directed by Don Cheadle. Okay, I was excited about this movie because it's about Miles Davis, um, and Miles Davis famously overcame a huge cocaine problem in the late 70s and had a giant comeback. And, um, you know, the stories around that say that it was because of his relationship, partly because of his relationship with Cecily Tyson, the actress. They were together for a while. Um, But as we know, we're real addicts and alcoholics. Yes, the people in our relationships help us recover, but uh, they're not always 100% responsible. We have to want it, too. Um, so I was interested to see where they were going with this and at what stage of Miles Davis's life this film takes place. Because he has a very storied career from, you know, fall-down heroin addict to getting his stuff back together to being a cocaine addict. I mean, it's just on and on and on. Dropped from labels, uh, brought back to labels. So he um, he's an interesting dude and polarizing too, you know, very opinionated. He says uh, to a um, Rolling Stone reporter who wants his comeback story, played here by Ewan McGregor, who we talked about my love for uh, when we discussed train spotting a few episodes ago. Um, and he says that, you know, j- it's not jazz. Jazz is derivative. And uh, that's a, a term white people came up with. And so uh, so I am a white person. So I, I apologize to the ghost of Miles Davis for using jazz to describe this show. Um but truth be told, I mean, we could do a musician show and do movies about, um, you know, Hank Williams Jr. Or we could do Ray or on and on. The Doors, on and on and on and on. Um, and so the thing about this film is that we're kind of like take on, taken on this trip where it's almost like an action movie, you guys where it kind of revolves around Miles Davis wanting to get his tapes back that had been stolen when there was a party at his house. Um, The cocaine use in this film is very over the top and very 70s, and thank God I have the amount of time of sobriety that I do have, because I gotta tell you, these filmmakers make it look very appealing. Um... Which is semi-problematic, I think, to the core of the film. And I'll explain why. So, instead of focusing on a specific journey, we have this superficial sort of journey of uh, Miles Davis and this reporter 
um, on this action quest to return, get these tapes of his music returned. And kind of a outward battle that's a not-so-subtle uh, reference to the way that um, Miles Davis felt about his label. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't love it, and it's not super interesting. Yeah, it's cool to watch Don Cheadle, whose performance is spectacular, by the way, um, be sort of this badass Miles Davis who, like, has a gun, and he's all coked up all the time, and he's fucking crazy, and he'll yell at you, and, you know, I mean, that's kind of fun. And then we, through a series of flashbacks, get to see Miles Davis's disappointments and life kind of ups and downs and musical ups and downs. Um, but I think this Miles Davis as badass uh, tone that the movie takes, um, it feels like a mistake. It honestly does. There's so many great chapters of Miles Davis's life and music and career um, that to kind of like lump it together in this like badass thing. I don't know. It didn't work for me ultimately in the end. Uh, worth it for the performances. Mu even the music stuff was kind of a letdown. Like, man, you're going to make a movie about Miles Davis. Like that better be chock full of really great musical montages. And while we get a lot of Davis on the soundtrack, um, it's not the predominant force. And I think, gosh, visually just using that as a cue could take you so many interesting places. And the movie never really does that. Um, so as an actor, I think Cheadle is fantastic. As a director, I think maybe we bit off more than we could chew here on this film. Um, and I love it. So I think this is a two-star movie. Uh Watch it, though, and tell me what you think, because it in researching the film and reading different reviews, it's very polarizing with people. Uh, you go onto the IMDb message board about this film, and there are some people who think it is the best jazz film of the last 10 years, and other people who think it is the worst thing ever. I am somewhat in between. I wish it was meatier. I wish we focused on, I mean, if we were going to do a comeback story of Miles Davis, I wish we focused on the real meaty, juicy part of overcoming cocaine. And, you know, because here's the deal. And this has been on my mind a lot. And, um, you know, there are so few movies about recovery featuring um, people of color. And the fact that he did recover and... Uh, got over it. I think that's fucking interesting. And and went on to make some of the best music of his career. I think that's interesting. And it felt like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I know not everything's supposed to be a silver lining rainbow about recovery films. And, you know, I don't expect that. You listen to my other episodes, you know that's not the case. But um, I just felt right here there was an interesting story that already existed uh, that doesn't get told, and it didn't get told here again, so it felt like a missed opportunity. So, uh, like I said, it's two stars for me on this one. But, you know, it's such a rich 
topic. The musical thing is such a rich topic. And some of the films that I uh, talked about at the beginning, like Round Midnight and Bird and Lowdown, I definitely want to have individual shows for. Um, it's fun when you kind of delve into looking about the history of drugs and alcohol and jazz music. And that, you know, a lot of people, it's so synonymous that a lot of people feel like jazz almost got, got a bad rap because of how many musicians' lives were ravaged by it. Um, as I've said before on this program, though, I really think that, like, now in this day and age, especially with heroin, I think you could say any industry, and if you really focused on it and pulled people out of it, you could say any industry was ravaged by drugs and alcohol, and that's just the way it goes. And that is my opinion on the whole dealio. Uh, so yeah, three terrific jazz films, um, or at least interesting and worth the watch jazz films, uh, released in the last year. All of them available digitally to watch online, so check them out and tell me what you think. All right, in the last few minutes of this show, I would like to talk about other things kind of going on in pop culture. Uh, I thought this week I would mix it up and just talk about other stuff that I'm watching that kind of relate to the topic at hand. Uh, you know, I think there's something interesting happening with narrative, and I think a narrative of talking about recovery from different stuff and mental health, um, it's brewing on all different fronts. And uh, right now we're just at the very tip of the fall television iceberg, and lots of new shows have popped up. And uh, one of which is um, The Fantastic Atlanta, which is on FX, and you can watch it online as well, starring Donald Glover. Um, while not recovery-based, man, oh man, this sitcom about hip-hop in Atlanta touches on uh, race, homophobia, and um, mental health in, like, one scene better than any show I've ever seen. It's so smart um, to have a black artist like Glover talking about mental health and just dipping his toes in that water. Uh, it's pretty punk rock. And the great thing about the show, because it's a sitcom, it's really funny and smart and well-written. Uh, people are calling it the best new show of the fall. I have not seen everything of the fall, but I think it's pretty darn good. So you should check it out. Um, what else have I watched? Oh, over the summer I watched... Uh, Lady Dynamite by Maria Bamford. Um, amazing. It's on Netflix. I'd say check that out. Especially if you're a dual diagnosis person who struggles with, um, you know, bipolar disorder or other mental illness. Uh, this is a incredibly quirky and kind of fucked up sitcom uh, based on Bamford's own real life. And... Um, worth the watch and very funny and again really pushing a narrative of uh talking about mental illness in the forefront so uh those are two great things i've been watching and with that we are out of time um 
But let me know what you're watching and what you're binging and what your fall show is currently. I'd love that. Uh, email me at sloshedcinemapod at gmail.com and I will read some of your comments on air next episode. Um, I would love to know that what you're watching and um, what you think about the show and anything else on your mind. So yeah, give me an email or holler at me on ye old Twitter. All right, kids, that's all we have for this episode. Um, and remember, uh, no matter if you're sitting in the dark by yourself watching a movie, you are never alone. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy.